have you ever had one of those embarrassing moments where you just wanted to disappear? Just sort of poof, just okay, you all don't see me right now. That that kind of moment. There was, uh, back in the, I, I can't remember exactly when this was, whenever that, that, that sort of trend was going on where people would use a Bluetooth device and they would stick it in their ear. Do you all remember that? There was one that was on the market, I think it was called like a jawbone or something like that. And so you'd stick that thing in your ear and if you were on the left side of somebody and they had it in their right ear, you didn't know they had that thing in their ear. You didn't know they were talking on their cell phone. They didn't have a phone up to their ear for crying out loud. I remember getting on an elevator one time and a guy's talking and and then I, I mean we were the only two on the elevator. So he's talking out loud and he's standing there and so and he's saying he's saying something about he's like yeah you know I, I told him and he, he cried like a little girl and I guess he, he had just fired somebody and uh, and so I thought I thought what is this guy and then he kept going on and I said excuse me what and he said uh, you know Bob I'm sorry I got somebody talking to me can you hold on a second he looks over at me like what are you, what are you why are you talking to me and so and, and there was even a, a television commercial about that there's this guy sitting in a conference room and his female co-worker comes in they're like the first two to arrive at the conference table for a meeting and he's sitting there looking straight ahead and she's, you know, looking at his, the left side of his face and she sits down a couple seats to his left. She doesn't know he has one of those devices in and he says, I, I know I haven't told you this before, but I just, I've grown to care so much about you and, and I just, uh, you just absolutely mean the world to me. And then she turns and says, oh my goodness, I have felt the same way for months. And I just didn't know how to tell you. And then he says, I, I'm, I'm sorry, sweetheart. Can you hold on a second? And he, and he turns over, and then, then she is just mortified, right? And uh, Southwest Airlines even had an ad campaign once upon a time. And uh, you had people doing, having these embarrassing moments. A woman, first time for her to be in a guy's apartment, and she's using his bathroom, and she hollers out into the hall, Hey, I love how you decorated in here. And then she sees one of those old-fashioned medicine cabinets, you know, the mirror and you open it up it's hinged, you open it up and then she starts like going through, like what, what can I find out about this guy? And so she pulls something off the shelf and she's looking at it and she puts it back and then all the glass shelves do what? They just come crashing down. And then uh, uh, Southwest Airlines says, you know, want to get away? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's that moment. It's like, what were you doing in my medicine cabinet? Or then the, there's the guy who's, uh, you know, he's outside and he's walking by a car and he stops. He sees his reflection in the side window. And it's, it's dark tinted glass and he stops with his hair and he's doing this right here and then all of a sudden the window starts coming down because there's somebody sitting right there watching him do it and they ask that question you want to get away but then how about those moments church family that are less humorous that the kind of thing we don't tell sometime later at a social gathering those private, personal moments where we did something we should not have done. Maybe we stole something. 
Maybe we lied about something or someone. Maybe our thoughts went where they shouldn't have gone. Maybe we ourselves went where we shouldn't have gone, did something we shouldn't have done in that brief, brief, split-second moment of weakness. And then what do we do? We might replay that scene in our minds over and over and over again. Wishing that we had not gone there. Wishing that we had not done that. Wishing that it had somehow ended differently because that one moment set some things in motion. Like a freight train going down the tracks. It just could not be contained. Even from an early age, we learn to recognize the difference between right and wrong, and we recognize those feelings of embarrassment and guilt and shame. According to the Institute for the Study of Child Development at Robert Wood Johnson Medical School, a child has already begun their emotional development of shame, pride, and embarrassment by age two. As soon as we're old enough to recognize the difference between right and wrong and realize that our words or actions have hurt someone else, we are all subject to feeling guilt and shame to varying degrees of intensity. And... uh, We use these terms guilt and shame sort of interchangeably, but they describe actually two different uh, emotional responses to, to two different situations. Guilt describes when we view a particular action as something negative. For example, I did something wrong. See, the the weight there is on the action that we committed. And because we did something wrong, then we feel guilty about it. Shame, however, is when we view who we are in a negative way. I did something wrong. See, the, the weight there is not on the action, but it's on ourselves. And so when it's on the action, it brings guilt. When we put it on ourselves, that's where shame comes in. And so that's the difference between guilt and shame. You might say that they're close cousins, but nonetheless, we feel those, those feelings, those emotions of embarrassment, guilt, and shame from a very early age. And I remember, you know, I remember my mom asking me, Greg, did you tell a story? They didn't, you know, two years old, three years old, they didn't call it lying. That seemed kind of harsh, I guess. But I don't know if any of you grew up in households where with little ones, you didn't, call, you didn't say lying necessarily. You said, hey now, are you telling a story? And I'm thinking, you know, I look back, I think, well, stories, yeah, we love stories. But no, this was not a true story, and that was the problem, is that I was saying something that wasn't exactly true, and I was being called out on that. And so uh, we learned this from a very early age. I don't know how many of you have ever heard of Craig Groeschel, but 
He is a uh, he's a preacher in Oklahoma City and a Christian author. He's written uh, several several good books. Uh, but he says that guilt and shame are feelings we all have experienced, even Christians. Following Jesus doesn't stop us from feeling these emotions or simply make them disappear. He believes that poor financial choices, sexual sin, addictions, that these thing, type of things all contribute to a secret tomb of shame that many people are dying in. And so he says that living with shameful feelings of our past mistakes causes us to shrink back from stepping into God's plan for our life. I agree with him wholeheartedly. It leads us to deceitfully lie to cover up our embarrassing shortcomings that we don't want anyone else to know about. It can force us to live bound, hiding in the shadows and feeling like we're trapped in a prison of our own sin. If left hidden, sin can fester and grow over time. And if left unrepented for, this sin will not only become a snare and hindrance to God's best for us, but it can also bring forth deadly consequences. That's why James write, writes in, in James 1, 14 and 15, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to birth. Woo. When it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. And so, the idea there is that we think that sin starts with temptation, and some of you may have heard me talk about this before, that we think in our minds, well, sin starts with temptation. We're tempted with something, and then we give in to that temptation. And James is pointing out to us the reality that the only reason the temptation is effective is why, church? Because we desire it in the first place. So it begins in our own hearts. We desire something. And so what I desire may be different than what Jesse desires. And what Jesse desires may be different than what Hayden desires. But we all, in our hearts, we all have our own certain desires that are specific to us. And some are in common with other people. Some are different. But then those desires then become temptation when the devil says, well, hey, what about this? Now think about that for a moment because the temptation would be absolutely useless if we didn't desire it in the first place, right? And so James is explaining there that it begins with that desire in our hearts, then comes the temptation, and then when we give in to that temptation, it becomes sin. And that sin has to be dealt with. He's saying don't let it become full grown. In other words, don't let that sin keep on growing. You want to snuff that out when that strange language to think about sin growing or the idea of, of taking care of that sin when it's young, okay, before it has time to grow. Because the problem with sin that keeps on growing 
is we get used to it, don't we? Yeah. That's a big problem. Sin that we just let keep on going and going and going. It becomes a part of us. And that's what James is trying to warn us against there. He's saying, don't let it become a part of you. Don't let it enslave you. Don't let it become that sort of tomb that you feel trapped in. And so, uh, it's the idea that, uh, that when you do something for so long, you begin to fail to recognize the difference anymore between right and wrong. Those feelings of guilt and shame that I truly believe God gives us for a reason. Those feelings of guilt and shame then start to lose their effect, right? And then what are they replaced with? They're replaced with pride. Because it's pride that comes up and says, well, I deserve that. I deserve to be happy, and so I'm going to do this. Or, I deserve to be free from pain, and so I'm going to fill that void and numb that pain with this. Could be alcohol, it could be drugs, it could be sex. Some people numb pain by shopping. They buy things because there's a a feeling of happiness when they get something new. And then we know like anything that fills a void, what happens? It only fills that void temporarily, right church? That whatever it is we're trying to fill, whatever it is we're trying to numb, then it only lasts for a very, very brief amount of time. And then we're left wanting again and hurting again. And it is a vicious cycle. And so that is why we are encouraged to uh, we are encouraged to repent of that sin and deal with it before it becomes, as James says, full grown. And so let's turn to uh, to Psalm thirty two. Uh, I'm going to begin with verse one. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. I'm going to stop there for just a minute. Now, where was where'd the problem lie? Well, look at verse 3. When I kept silent, David's saying, it's when I kept silent that my bones wasted away. And there I was, groaning all day long. Day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped. Like in the heat of summer, we know what it's like to work on a hot summer day. And I mean, it is. it can be just absolutely exhausting. And so you come in at the end of, of a long, hot day, and boy, you are just, you got no energy. You got nothing left in the tank. And he's saying, that's how I felt just because of what, church? It's his guilt and shame that David is describing here. 
Why? Because he kept silent. And so then we read on, verse 5, Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely... The rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. And so what a beautiful picture that David paints there. What a vivid picture he paints. I mean, he starts out by saying, you know, boy, you know, it wasn't going too well. I was keeping silent about the stuff I was doing. And, man, it was weighing on me. The guilt, the shame. And how did he resolve at church? He says, I confessed my transgressions to God. I said, I'm giving you my sin, Lord. I'm going to name it. I'm going to own it. And he's saying, and then, he surrounds me with those songs of deliverance. Why deliverance? Because when you feel like you've been trapped in a snare, when you've been in that self-created tomb, then when you are freed from that, you feel as if you have been delivered. We're talking about real life faith. And last week we spent some time uh, uh, talking, uh, talking about pleasing people instead of pleasing God. And the, the, the trap that we get into when we uh, seek to, to look at the favor of other human beings rather than the favor of God. And how that prevents us from living the life for the Lord that we're called to live. And so today, we're, we're doing the same thing. It's just a different subject. Because as Craig Rochelle, as I read the excerpt from one of his books a moment ago, he says that it's when we are overburdened by the weight of our own sin, when we're constantly reliving the guilt and shame of past mistakes then that's going to be something that prevents us from stepping into the life that God calls us to. And so it's a different reason of not serving God, but it ends with the same result. Whether we're not serving God because we're afraid of what people might think, or we're not serving God because we are afraid of what people might think because they know some of our past maybe or because we've been burdened by the weight of our past but here's the thing church what I see a lot of times is people who have confessed it to God they have given their sins over to God they've confessed it, they've asked for forgiveness but then they don't forgive themselves They just can't seem to forgive themselves the way God has forgiven them. 
And so you might be here this morning and you might be in that first camp of you've got something that's weighing on you, but you haven't dealt with it. You haven't confessed it to God. But you might be in this other camp where you've given it to God and Scripture tells us over and over and over again that He forgives us, right? Psalm 112 as far as the... I'm sorry, 103. I think verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, right? He has removed our transgressions from us. And so we read those words and, and those bring us great comfort to know that God has forgiven us. But then what people often fail to do is to forgive themselves. And church family, that is so problematic. And I will say it again, it's like saying if only Jesus would have shed some more blood on the cross. He shed the exact amount of blood that he needed to shed to cover the sins of all humanity past, present, and future. And church, once we own our sin, once we ask for forgiveness with that truly repentant heart, then we have to be people who are able to once and for all forgive ourselves. We've got to be people who can finally move forward. I want to read from Acts chapter... I'm sorry, wrong thing. Acts chapter 3. And I'm going to read just two verses here. Acts chapter 3, verses 19 and 20. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. That times of refreshing may come from the Lord and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. And so think about that for a moment. Repent, turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. And so church... I believe that God gives us, even from that early age of about two years old, when we're little toddlers, He gives us that understanding of right and wrong, those feelings of guilt and shame, and that those feelings uh, of guilt and shame stir within us to bring us to a point of surrender. And that that surrender deepens our trust in God and His goodness. It renews our dependence on our Heavenly Father. And isn't that the battle we're often waging? Is that we want to do it our way. We want to do it ourselves. And even at times when we know better, when we've been there before, and we said, hey, I did it my way, I did it myself, and it didn't work out too well. And then there was that time of repentance, that time of healing, and that time of walking close with God again. But we're talking about real life here, aren't we? And so then what happens? The world 
starts to creep its way back in. We give the devil a foothold sometimes. And so then we start relying on self once again. I myself have seen that in my own life just in the last week or so. That just when I think I've got my anger issues under control, okay, just when I say, wow, I haven't had to deal with that in a long time. I haven't had to apologize for an angry outburst in quite a while. Praise God that that's all behind me. And that's the moment where the devil says, oh yeah? Oh yeah? Great. Let that guard down, big boy. Yeah. Yeah. Take that guard off your heart. And let me in. And then I'm not relying on God for my anger anymore, right? I praise God, but I'm not relying on it. I'm not relying on Him to help me with those issues. And so then I find myself apologizing to my wife, apologizing to my son for those moments where I just have that moment of weakness. And I have a tone of voice that they don't deserve. I have an edginess to my language that they certainly don't deserve. And I know as I say this right now, from the looks on some of your faces, you know exactly what I'm talking about. We let that stuff that we think is dead and buried, we think we're past it. And then we let it creep back in. And when it does, it doesn't come softly, does it? It hits hard. And there we are realizing that we were relying on self and not relying on God. It's a church family. Let's be people who rely on Him and His awesome power every single day that we don't let our guard down, that we don't give the devil a foothold, that we are people that when we recognize sin in our life, that we confess it, that we deal with it. Because church family, let's be free from that snare. Let's be free from that self-inflicted tomb and let's live the full and abundant life that God calls us to. If you're with us this morning and you may, uh, you may not have yet started living that life where you're walking with Christ Jesus, then we offer you today an invitation. We are literally inviting you to come this morning and say, I do believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that you will enter the watery grave of baptism and rise from those waters a new creation. And if you're with us this morning and something is weighing on you that you need our prayers, we offer that invitation for the same reason. Let's come. Let's stand and sing.